Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. Thanks to our podcasting partner, Polestring Press, for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Mark. We um, are continuing in our uh, string of uh, fascinating conversations have a guy I've been really looking forward to talking to, Bill Gartner. Bill, how are you? Hi. Thanks, Mark, for inviting me today. Bill, you're the uh, professor of entrepreneurship, and uh, in looking at your body of work, I've just been thrilled and looking forward to the conversation. We talk about entrepreneurship and leaders, um, uh, public sector, private sector, education. There's so many facets around economic vitality here in the region, which is the, the kind of the artifice for the conversation, but it's just about interesting people who can inform and uh, inspire us. What is, God, I have 800 questions for you, but I'm just gonna start with how the heck do you find time to be as prolific as you are? It doesn't take much, ladies and gentlemen, to uh, see 61 articles, five books, you've written 35 chapters in 35 different books. Where, where do you find time to do that? Oh, gee, you know, I'm surprised. I don't think I'm very productive at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Liz, you want to talk about that? We'll spend our, you can spend your hour yeah, that way. Well, yeah, why I'm not doing more. So, no, I enjoy doing research. I love to write. Um, it's nice to see my ideas out there. I've been really lucky in the field um, to be able to publish as much as I have. So, um, no, I'm always surprised I haven't done more. I've got colleagues that have published tw- twice as much as I have, so. What's holding you back? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just take too much time off. I, I like to sleep at night, so, <laughs> yeah. What, what, what's the f- most fun about writing for you? Well, you know, the thing about entrepreneurship that's fun is, is that they're probably the most dynamic individuals out there in the world. And when I began my research career, you know, you can look at all kinds of different people in the world. And you can look at leaders, you can look at pathological leaders and difficult people. But, you know, the, probably the, the, the people that are the happiest and most interesting are these entrepreneurs, people making things happen in the world. So when I looked around in my Ph.D. for study topics, surprisingly, in the late 70s, very few people were interested in these wonderful individuals that were starting companies. It was mostly uh, thoughts about corporate America and how to be successful at IBM or General Electric or any of the other large companies. So um, it's really been a fascinating odyssey to find all of these wonderful people doing really interesting things. And I must say, they're very happy for the most part. You know, there's lots of individuals out there that have careers that are are, are not as uh, fun to be around. So It's interesting. I, I haven't heard actually the word happy associated with entrepreneurs in any of the conversations we've had. I've, I've heard lots of other words, but you actually said it twice. It was, you said happiest and interesting, and then they're very happy. Explain that to us. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we certainly tell people who are 
curious about entrepreneurship and thinking about entrepreneurial careers is to really follow your passion. Okay. And so if you're following your passion, you're likely to be happy about it. And it doesn't mean that there aren't difficult moments and struggles in the middle of trying to create a business and be successful. But, you know, what, what more can one ask than to really follow what one believes in? So to me, that leads to happiness. And that's where most entrepreneurs are. Do you, um, how, how much of, and this is another question that I seem to be asking a lot, is how much of that entrepreneurial spirit is in the DNA? And then how much of it can we teach? Yeah, my career has really been built on exploring that issue. And oh, really? One, yeah. Oh. One, of my, one of my major articles is an article called, Who is an Entrepreneur? Question mark Is the Wrong Question. And one of the issues with that is is that there was, at least in the 70s and 80s, uh, uh, a, I would call this a belief that entrepreneurs are born and not made. Okay. And that <clears throat> particularly a lot of this came out of David McClellan's work on need for achievement and his organization at that point was spending a lot of time actually training entrepreneurs around the world and focusing on this characteristic called need for achievement. I would say this, when we look at characteristics of entrepreneurs, they have the same characteristics of anyone who's successful in any part of their life. In order to be successful as a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, you had, have to have need for achievement. You have to want to make need things- Need for achievement. Need for achievement. Got it. And actually, it's kind of fun to talk about McClellan's work on need for achievement. So McClellan comes out of a psychological group at Harvard based in the 30s and 40s that were looking at how people made sense of their futures. And they were given cards, basically doing a test called the thematic apperception test, where you'd be given a card, you'd look at it, and then you would have to tell a story about what that card was about. Give me an example of what might be on a card. Well, the one that I actually give to my students is called Card C1, which <laughs> is a card where there's a boy. He's at a table like the table we're at right now, and in front of him is a violin, and he's looking at the violin. You're given this card, and for the next five minutes, you have to write a story about the boy and the violin. I'd love to do that. It's really fun, because what you see is people can create all kinds of different of course. stories. Some, of course. some people don't create a, a need for achievement story, and a need for achievement story would be the boy's looking at his violin, He's realizing that if he practices and works hard, he can play at Carnegie Hall. Mm. And he's struggling with, I think I can spend that amount of effort into it, and I really look forward to being successful. That's a need for achievement story. But there could be other stories, such as affiliation. I love this violin because it makes my parents and my friends and family happy, and I want to care about who they are. So it's less about achieving playing the violin and more making other people satisfied. So... The stories, I think, provide a window into where people see themselves in the future. So that's this issue of TAT. So that's where McClellan began with So back with up, this. hold on just a second. Sure. T8. So we play buzzword bingo in the show. Well, thematic apperception test. And apper... Apperception. So apperceptions are, are projections into the into situations where actually what we're doing is we're perceiving in a situation our own our own belief system. We're putting some bias on that. Yeah, so it's the boy and the violin. I look right. at that boy and then I project into that boy my own feelings about how this boy might behave ah. when I tell a story about him. Hmm. So McClellan actually uh, 
wrote a book called The Achieving Society where he studied the stories that uh, were written for children, children's stories across the world. He looked at stories from 40 different countries, had them, you know, if you were in India, translated those. And he then looked at could he, by looking at whether there was need for achievement in these children's stories, then make a correlation with how advanced those societies were? And his belief, were very much uh. like Weber's Protestant ethic, work ethic, was is that if there were children's stories that had high needs for achievement, those countries would likely be more successful. No kidding. Yeah. So I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my interest here is I'm, I'm really interested in early childhood education. And I'm interested in what are the leading indicators uh, to uh, that successful, like what are the things, and and as a parent and now as a grandparent, I want to see those things and be attuned to them. So I want to see that that research applied to 80s sitcoms. (laughs) <laughs> like that just as you were describing that i'm listening to that i'm just kind of like different strokes the cosby show family ties growing pains like those those were our cultural like touch points in the 80s of of, of like if we're setting up to figure out what our careers are going to be and what we're going to aspire to be you're you're, you're you know the, that was the platform by which we were receiving signals mm, of like mm. what does a happy life look like what does success yes. look mm, like mm, yes mm. yes and so i would say as a trait I'm sure at some point we'll get more into the background of my career, but you know I've done a, a, you know basically 30 years of research on different aspects of what seems to cause entrepreneurial activity. Right. And right. I've really drifted into this issue that I think if we want to promote entrepreneurship, it really does come down to the stories that we tell. So, so anecdotally, I would say, for example, probably the key factor in promoting entrepreneurship in the United States in the 80s and the 90s, where it really began to explode was more than just Bill Gates, because certainly his story of Microsoft and being able to create something out of nothing and being able to beat IBM at their own game and and, uh, become, so for those that don't remember, Microsoft at one point was the most valuable company in the world. You know, now it's Apple, but it way long, long time it was, it was long time ago was Microsoft, yeah. and still Bill Gates is the wealthiest person in the world. So it's a very powerful story of, as an entrepreneur, but. I've always thought that certainly in the 80s and 90s, it was Inc. Magazine who every month provided a whole set of stories about the nature of individuals being successful in the world. And, you know, very different than Business Week, which profiled, you know, Fortune 500 companies. And again, Fortune Magazine, Fortune 500. But, you know, there began this new narrative on here's a way to be successful in the world that's not about getting a job with a big company. Here's a way that you can be successful, that it's about mm. starting new things and being really w- wonderful at what you do. And it was always monthly articles on how people followed their passion and made really cool things happen. So my feeling is over the last 25 years, we've had this explosion of stories about what success in America looks like. Some of it's been through TV, but if you look at the movies, you know, certainly one of the more popular movies five years ago was The Social Network, where... Right. We had Zuckerberg profiled as someone who was, you know, had his own uncanny skill set and through a whole set of positive circumstances was able to build a multi-billion dollar organization. So, and a couple of things too, let's stay on social network. I think there's real genius in that movie because one of the ideas too that I think we've countered in what we think about entrepreneurship as is that in the 70s and 80s, there was a vision of entrepreneurship as 
entrepreneurs as basically loners, individuals who couldn't get along with mm-hmm. the rest of mm-hmm. society sure. and kind of doing their sure. own thing. But if you look at movies like Social Network or any of the other movies that are dealing with entrepreneurship, you realize it is a social process. Entrepreneurs never do things alone. They always have partners and helpers. There's a vast, powerful context of individuals that are making entrepreneurship happen. It's never about loners anymore. And so I think part of our- Never. Never. How how could it ever be about being alone by yourself? Because the first thing that has to happen as an entrepreneur to be successful is you need customers. And that's actually a co-created thing. A customer is your partner. You're selling to someone that believes enough in you to buy something that you, as a new person, have put on the marketplace. What a risk for someone to be able to buy something. Now, it may sound silly to say, well, it could be as simple as a loaf of bread or a cup of coffee. But again, people are very habitual. We're happy with what we do. And so, well, I'm going to back up and say this thing because we'll probably get into this issue of what makes America so wonderful. And I would say part of that aspect is is that we do have a society where we're always willing to try new things. There's a lot of cultures out there. That's unique to us. I think so. There's a lot of cultures where people don't want to do the new. It's like they're happy with their traditional way of going to doing things. They've gone to the same supermarket. They buy the same food. It's traditionally based on how they are. In America, it's, oh, there's something new at the corner. I have to see it. I have mm-hmm. to go in and be mm-hmm. a part of it. Um, and I think that's uniquely part of who we are. And, and that's actually very important for entrepreneurship because if you don't have customers that want to try new things, you can't offer new things. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, but you just said two different opposing things there. One, people like to do things over and over and over again once they've bought it from you for the first time. But two, we are very engaged and interested in the new thing on the corner, on the corner, and and I, I, I which is not a dispute, but just as much as like, no, right? It's like a, it's, a, it's a tension, and I yeah, I yeah, talk about it in two ways. So I, I wish I had my. It's true. This is a podcast, a <laughs> so you can't see you can't see. I have you can't a see him jumping up yeah, and down. Yeah, but you also can't see my poster that I could show you on my podcast. Very nicely here. executed. So, you know, my poster has a has an issue about this where I think there is there is this tension. One of the tensions is, um, I would call it the Machiavellian tension, where you know Machiavelli says the most difficult thing to do in light is to institute a new order of things. Right. Because everyone wants the old order. Yeah, and there's feel lots. safe, I know what to expect, yeah, really comfortable. And this is where you know the past worked for me, traditions work for me. I can eat those berries, they won't poison me. Yeah, so you know, and the new then is threatening because there's no one who's really on board. What's going to happen? What's the yeah? What yeah? And and so this is I. But see, this is I think where our culture is so strong is we're always in that tension of yes, the past has worked. Um, But in fact, actually, I've got a I've got an aphorism for that, which is that traditions are solutions to yesterday's problems. So if you have if you're facing the same problem that you had yesterday, your traditions work. Hmm. But if we have a culture where things are constantly changing, then we need something new. And I think that. This is, I think, always been the greatness of America, where people are, are willing to take the risk, which it is, to say, you know, past isn't working anymore in our lives. We need to try d- d- new things. Not forget know. it. Not, not forgetting not your forget history. It, but, but just know that, know that the, again, traditions are solutions to yesterday's problems. If today's problems are the same, traditions will work. But today's problems are different. They're not the same. So we need new ways of behaving, new ways of thinking about how we're going to be in the world. And so this is, 
This is where that fuels the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I look at entrepreneurs actually as vision. Think about what visionary means. That's visions are about seeing the future. So entrepreneurs are articulating different scenarios about how the future will be. Now, not everything that an entrepreneur articulates for the future is successful. I mean, what we know statistically is is that if 100 people try to start a business, only 30 of them actually get into business. And of those 30, (laughs) within five years, at least 50% are going to fail. We're down to 15 yeah, so we're down to 15, and probably in another five years, we're probably down to about seven or five. So, again, <clears throat> uh, these individuals' articulations of the future via a business is unlikely to be pers- <laughs> be persuasive. It's just, you know, that's, I think, how things are. Again, coming back to this history of tradition, most of what we do continues to stay the same. It's most, most. Most of what we do. And so, you know, entrepreneurs are working at the margin of our future. Uh-huh. We're trying to push the edge of things. And then we kind of move forward from that. Trying I mean, to affect that little bit that is left over from the most. So, like, yeah. I'm going to eat at my restaurants. I'm going to shop at my grocery store, well, go to my doctor. But I don't know where I might get my hair cut. Or I don't know well, where. Or, but also, I mean, here I think is the genius of Zuckerberg and the social network. Traditionally, we've always had relationships, yeah. right? right? We've always communicated with our friends and family. That's... What's new about that? But we, but our medium of communication was different. We called them on the phone. We sent letters. And now all of a sudden the Internet appears, and Zuckerberg basically was able to monetize mm-hmm. our social relationships. Yeah, he just lifted a pattern of behavior that we already use. Yeah, and created a platform for us to communicate with our friends in a much easier way. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so right. it's like there's a marginal newness in it, but for the most part we're doing what we've normally done. I can tell you're only a little bit excited about this. I love this. Stu- I love this stuff. I want to go fun. back to something you said that I, I just I, I wrote it down because it's, it's fantastic. Entrepreneurs working at the margin of our future. That's a great line. Have you used that before? Yes. Well, you should see my poster. So. <laughs> <laughs> can, now, uh, okay, so f- uh, we do produce show notes. Can, it, it is this I'd love poster. To have, I'd love that you. Anyone can download it. I'll send it to you if there's a way that it's on your. Yeah, on no, your I'll website. do it. I'll totally do I it. I would love to have. Send me yeah, a link. So it's yes, and the poster's free, so you can make a PDF of it. PDF of it if you want, and if you want a bigger copy, I have two feet by three feet and three feet by four posters. So send I me send me that one. before the weekend is. <laughs> I will sell you that. Okay, great. Not sell I'll, you it. I'll give you that, and then you can just lo- upload it, and they can thank have you. It. Thank so, you. So, so, so. Now I'm imagining that I just that I'm a visual guy, so that just gave me such a great picture. This the margins of our future, and we talked about you know you said earlier we've used the future word future several times, right? The entrepreneur s- says this the status quo is not solving the problem, and there's this new problem, and I've identified uh, some answer to that. Yes, and so now. They're living at the, the the margin. They're trying to envision this future and make this thing happen because they want they they're on a mission to solve that problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, I'm sure this is going to sound trivial though because you know the future can be such a thing as you know across the street from the studio here is uh, a retail store called Pinkberry that sells yogurt. So at some point, someone said, "I think people would like flavored yogurts more than they would like ice cream." Mm. And 
they would like it in this kind of form. And so that's, again, a guess about the nature of future. Flavored yogurt's valuable. It has more benefits than ice cream, and people will enjoy it. So, you know, that's, but again, it's that kind of a trivial, simple thing about the nature of where future is. But again, there's lots of people making different kinds of bets across different kinds of technologies every day. Um, let, let's talk, let's, let's go right there. I think that people think in general that entrepreneurs are only related to tech. No, no. Uh, everybody else is a small business person. Is that what you're saying, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that it's, and it's I struggle with that vision of things. Tech. So for all of those people who were in technology, is technology important to our society? Yes. So I'm not going to diss technology here. No, I think no. it's really, really key. And I think it's a major driver of our economy and our relationship to the rest of the world is our technological competence and our innovation. If you look at our GNP and you look at what's the basis of that, technology is a portion of where innovation like 7%, occurs. 7%, right? Yes. There's our, in fact, actually, again, I'll go back to Inc. Magazine. Inc. has a wonderful survey that they do every year called the Inc. 500, which is the fastest five fastest growing businesses in the United States. The 500 fastest, usually are private companies. And they have a way of kind of gathering who those people are. And if you look at the Inc. 500, what you find is, is that only about 15% of those would be traditionally technology-based. And then the rest of them are in industries that you would think could not possibly be a venue for high growth. Hmm. are ways to employ lots of people, but they are. Um, so you're wondering, oh, what could that possibly be? Horseshoes. <laughs> well, no, it can be such a simple thing as, you know, janitorial services. Sure, right. So you could have a business that, that actually employed thousands of people and, and, you know, certainly not the best of all possible jobs, but certainly an avenue for employment in all kinds of different things. We have a lot of high growth in restaurants and food. You know, basically our entrepreneurial economy reflects where United States is going. So, you know, we tend to eat out more. There's lots of restaurant right. co concepts. Healthcare is a growing area. We're spending more on healthcare, so we see lots of innovations there. And those are not necessarily technological innovations. Exactly. Home healthcare, all kinds of other services. Um, so we tend to discount that. Those kinds of success stories tend not to make it into the major media outlets, and so we're just not aware of They're how not as much- They're not sexy, right, as the yeah. suck story. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I'm thinking that person who is listening to this podcast and, and you know, maybe they've got, they've got that better idea, but they presume or assume that, oh, I'm not in tech, so I can't be an entrepreneur. But the entrepreneurial spirit is not related to that one industry. No, and this comes back to my original article, who is an entrepreneur is the wrong question, which is, is that I think entrepreneurship is about what you do. It's like, we would never ask that of doctors. I mean, it's like, what are the characteristics of a good doctor? We would say, doctors do doctor things. It's you behave like a doctor, you learn the skills of what it means to be a doctor, and then you do doctoring. And or it would be <laughs> asinine for us to say, you can't train a doctor, they're just born. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my mouth's open because that's kind of the issue. It's yeah. like, and what other career would we say to someone, oh, you can't be that because you're not that? Yeah. You weren't born to be a lawyer. Oh, yeah. you weren't born to be a doctor. You yeah. weren't born to be an engineer. Now it's You don't not have the that, temperament. Yeah, and it's <sighs> not that there aren't skills. There's there so, and some there's semi temperament, but some of it is really skill sets that you learn. And also what the risk profiles of those kinds of jobs are. 
obviously, if I was a nuclear engineer, I would want to behave so that I designed nuclear reactors that didn't explode, right? Sure. I, I, so I would have probably a bit more <coughs> – I would care about the risks of the situation because the risks are fairly significant, whereas – some entrepreneurial situations, you want people to be high risk takers. But most entrepreneurial situations don't require a lot of risk taking. So this issue of risk profile or need for achievement, you know, I look at need for achievement and say, you have to kind of want to make anything happen in your life. So need for achievement is important no matter who you are and what kind of career you're choosing. So with entrepreneurs, it's not a born issue. There are certainly people who are natural at it. But for – and so – since we're in the United I, – I do a lot of work around the world, and I like to use actually baseball metaphors, which is an American okay. thing, where, rather than – if I'm in Europe, then I'll talk about soccer. But let's use baseball. So, you know, one of the f – the, the founder of the farm system in the United States was a fellow named Branch Rickey, who at that point was running the Brooklyn Dodgers, not the L.A. Dodgers. And his, his aphorism was, from the many to the few – and the purpose of the farm system was to take the thousands and thousands of kids that were playing baseball, put them in the farm leagues, and those kids then would eventually, some of them would get better and better and better, and the best ones from the farm leagues would end up professionally. And that's actually how our entrepreneurial system works. It's from the many to the few. The more people who you have playing anything. So, for example, if I wanted to build the best tennis playing culture in the United States, I would have every little kid with a tennis racket out on the tennis court every day playing tennis. And from the many, you get those fabulous tennis players. That's what most countries do. If you want a great soccer team, have every kid play soccer. Eventually, you get what happened in the right. United States with right. girls' soccer. You get the best team in the sure. world. So from the many of the few with entrepreneurship, if you can, again, get people aware of how wonderful entrepreneurship is, give them some skills about it. Some will be better than others, and some will create these fabulous co companies. But, you know, at least everyone's had a chance to learn what the rules are. Do you think that is exactly why s the startup weekend phenomenon, the hub phenomenon, the incubators, accelerators, um, it's, we've got nine at last count here in the region. We didn't, you know, the, it's, it, the, it's a farm team. You're saying it's a farm team. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And, and huh. um, you know, I suppose at some point there could be too many of them. But at this point, I think given Not yet. the rates of return for innovation in our society, right. um, we probably need more rather than less. And I think, you know, the way I look at it as is that so when I'm giving, excuse me, <coughs> when I'm giving introductions, for example, to the freshman year class coming into the university, kind of telling the story of what entrepreneurship is about. I talk about two kinds of jobs that exist in the world right now. There's job, there's basically rule takers and rule makers. If you're a rule taker job, you're basically in a position where someone's telling you what to do and there's a set of rules about how things are going to yep. work. And frankly, those jobs are going away. And it's not like they're going to China or India or anywhere else. Rule-taking jobs, frankly, can be done by robots. And my, my example is... Because you can write a list of rules. Yeah. So, for example, if you look at... Just look at the nature of productivity. If I have a company with 100 people in it, and I have a rate of productivity where I'm increasing my productivity by 4% a year, which is not that significant, but it's pretty high, that means next year I can do the same amount of work with 96 people, right? 
Okay. And then uh, the do, next year, if I'm not, if I'm not, com- if I, I'm not going to compound this. Sorry, because my math head's not working today. <laughs> but if I were to do four percent every year, next year, so two years from now, I only need ninety-two people. Three years from now, I need only eighty-eight. So if we just, without compounding, went down by a factor of four percent every year. I'm sorry for the bad math out there for those people who know how to They're going to write letters. It's okay. I know. That's all right. In 20 years, 4%. There's no employees. We've, got 80, we've already lost 80% right. percent of the employees. We're Sound down to fun. 20. This is what's happened in America is, is that these rule-taking jobs, just by the nature of productivity, are being taken over by machines. Um, and, and my best example is there is not one automobile in the world that's painted by a human being. It's all done by robots. If you've ever gone to any automobile manufacturing sure. plant, yeah, yeah. And, the, and they do automated. a really good job. Right. So <laughs> 25 years ago, those cars were painted by human beings. So these kind of rule-taking jobs, and we can look down the line. Accounting, if it's a rule-taking job in accounting, it's going to go. Healthcare, rule-taking job, it's going to go. We're, we design computers and robots to do these. We're kinds talking of about legal even right now. Is that is the yes. vast majority of, of, of the of the stuff that lawyers or, or low level lawyers do can be done now online through forms. And that's why we're seeing such a radical decrease in the number of law positions because right. we're getting a lot more automation. So I say, look at if you're in a rule taking kind of job or you're trying to go into a rule taking kind of business, those jobs are going to go. This is the genius of what computers are. So you have to think about rule-making jobs, which are creative jobs, where you create a future. That's where entrepreneurs are. And I say the reason for going into entrepreneurship, for learning entrepreneurship in grade school, high school, and university is, is that you need to be able to make rules, not take rules. And that's where the value of innovation is, is creating new systems, new rules for, again, the future. And if you can do that, you are you become very very wealthy. I mean that's what we see in our society is those rule creators, those people that have created new systems, Microsoft, Apple, you know, you, you name it. Well, you had that's the word the money is. you had the word maker in there and the whole there's the whole maker movement of which I was uh, I was at odds with for a while cuz I'm not a um, robotics or a gearhead kind of like making a, a big part of that maybe it's because silicon valley is, is kind of appropriated makers right 3d printers and all that sure. kind of stuff but i'm a chef i make stuff all the time yeah oh yes yeah right makers are it's not uh, and again i was getting out of my head uh, patrick you're a maker you yeah. teach makers yeah right? oh yeah you're, he's a patrick's an art professor we teach we teach sculpture right. all the time where where we'll have you know business majors or other majors come in and we try to explain to them uh this idea of not buying it but making it Right. You know, what are the smallest little thing? The smallest little thing. Let's just try making a pencil. But also in that artistic world, you're cu- you're you have to have a vision ahead of wh- how you see the future to be oh, yeah. as an object that doesn't exist. Yeah, and right. then you make it. Yeah. Yeah. There's huge power in that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I try to tell parents all the time when they're all concerned about their kid coming into the art department. I say, you know, we're, we're creative problem solving inside of collaborative environments to innovate uh, objects that don't exist already. That's that's the ideal candidate in most business. That's right. And that's actually the foundation of what entrepreneurship is about. Right. If I would say what we add to it is, is this concern for, which I'd say actually, you know, we're trying to segue more into the art market as well and work with artists because my feeling about art and one of the challenges of the artistic community is, is that invariably, if you look in the past about the nature of art, artists said, I'm doing art and I have to sell it. 
if I'm Rembrandt, I have a system. Right, advocates s- that work for you to, yeah, to handle I'm it. Yeah, and I'm selling right. portraits. And if I can't make money, I can't paint. So it's just not art for art's sake. It's art that really can kind of transform individuals. And again, there's this exchange issue that I think entrepreneurs are very sensitive to is, is that how can, I, how can I be sensitive to other people out there so I can give them what they want? So, but again, the creativity comes from the artistic aspects of it. It's a huge aesthetic sensibility that I think is really key. So, Is that missing in business school? I think people are struggling with it. Some business schools are a bit better at it than others. Because uh, you, know, you, you can teach them the mechanics of how to execute a great idea, but if they don't have a great idea or know how to cultivate a great idea. And this is something we do with, with, with you know, art students all the time and say, okay, you might not have a good idea right now, but like, let's, put, let's put a lot into the pot. You, know, you, can't, you can't start a soup without mm, ingredients. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And let's play. I think, too, there's a, this issue of let's play. Yeah, mm-hmm. And business schools tend to be a bit formulaic. Again, a lot of business school is rule-taking. Here's how an accounting system works. Mm. Here's how you go about making money. Mm. It's always worked for us, so we're just going to do it this way. So, yeah, and yeah. here's the nature of the formula for how things work. But yeah. that, that creative aspect tends not to be a major emphasis for where business is at, which I think is unfortunate. Because, but, again, I think all, all of higher education is very concerned with this issue of kind of multidisciplinary in the sense that you can't just be alone anymore doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. So even if you're a business person, you have to realize you're going to be working with designers, artists, engineers, other kinds of individuals out there. You're never alone anymore just doing your one little thing in your – I can tell you, if you're doing your one little thing in your little cubbyhole, a machine's going to take that over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what human beings are really good at is interrelating with other individuals. And so this, this skill set's really, really key. And this I, where I, is where I really want to see higher education, but also high school and grade school get more into, in that you know, little kids need more than just content about how the world works. They need to be able to know how to relate to each other. Empathy. A ver- yeah, a very soft skill. And so that, that tends to be disemphasized because how do you test empathy? How do you measure right. it? Yeah, yeah. 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, right. where is your paper pencil test for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, on it, we just don't. It's just not going to work that way. But those skills, those relational skills, to me, are the crucial aspects of who we are as individuals that make it work, particularly in entrepreneurship. So, what does that look? That specific lesson. How? What does that look like in your classes? What do you do to teach that? Be out in the world, wow. from the beginning. I so I have a, I have a exercise called the five strangers exercise. So for me, uh, I think of it this way. You need to meet someone that you don't know about what you want to do, every day. So five strangers a week. So I give you off. I give my students off Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> so Monday then Fridays, Monday through Friday, once a day, they need to meet someone that they haven't met before that could help further them understand, again, how to create the future. That could be a possible customer. That could be another entrepreneur that has in the same kind of area that person is. That could be friends or family. But again, you have to go out in the world, meet strangers, begin to build this community of individuals that, and and this is a secret too, there's always these stories about the nature of networking. And 
everyone says, network, network, network. And I'm going to give all of you the secret to great networking. Okay. Mm. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Take a breath. Get your pencil out. Here it comes. Okay. So the secret to great networking is this. It's being valuable to someone else. When you go out in the world, your job really as a networker is to go to other individuals and say to them, how can I be of service and value to you? Networking is about giving. It's not about taking. And I think we tend to reverse that, to say, oh, you're networking out there because you're out there to get a job. Again, get the job, take from someone else. But really, you're going out there to go to other individuals and say to them, how can I care about you? What do you need in your life to make your life better off? That's what networking is, because at some point, those individuals are going to go, oh, I just talked to Bill Gartner, and he wants to be valuable to me. And this is, could be a value if he would do such and such. And then I would get a call. Oh, Bill, can you do such and such? That's where value is created. Yep, yep, when you yep. do that, it's not about, again, it's not about taking. It's about giving. And I think students particularly tend to reverse that and say, oh, I'm going to network. I'm going to go out, meet 50 people, and they're just going to give me what I need in order to get into business. No. You're going out there to give them what they need to be successful. That, to me, is really, if you think about it, what the customer value proposition is all about. Exactly. It's providing value to someone else. So you're always, I say, when you network, you're always asking that question to the other individual. How can I be of service to you? What, how can I provide value to where you're at? If you do that, networking works for you. If you're there to take from someone else, you know what? You leave those events, and it will never work. It's about giving rather than taking. And I think that's the secret to entrepreneurship. It's giving, 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 giving. We had a, a another episode that the person is listening now might want to take note of. It's called The Art and Science of Relationships. Ah. A guy named David Knorr is the thought leader in a space called Relationship Economics. And uh, I have your address. Uh, I'm going to send you a copy of his book. Great. Because I think you will completely get it. Um, and you'll love that episode because he talks about givers and takers and how to recognize them and how to show up as uh, someone who's giving. No, I just I, I everything I was listening to that I was I was I, I was hearing these these interactions I've been having lately with with people who are just interested in meeting me, but not meeting me, not knowing anything further about me or how how to how to or or, or exactly what you're saying like how. How could they participate or how could I participate? There's none of that. It's just solely for the for like the notch on the belt of like, well, I've I've met thirty three people this week. So Yeah, and it doesn't work. <laughs> no, it doesn't get no, because nothing no. comes of it after the right. fact. No, but just think about the power of if someone came to you and said, Oh, I I want to know how to make your life better off. Can I just have fifteen minutes of your time because something might come of it? I'll give you a sense of my skill set, but I want to make you make how cool, because then your mind's going, oh, well, da-da-da-da-da. And that could be, there could be something co cool come out of that. Yeah, well, and I think, I think, but it's it's dismantling that that preconceived notion that, that I have when I meet somebody that, that um, oh, that'll cost me a lot to give that over. You know, that'll cost me a lot of, if I, if, if the five people I meet this week, I say to them, like, how can I be involved in your life? It's like, I barely have enough time for my own life. How could I give over to them? But then you start to realize that is your life. That, that right? right. Yes. Like that becomes right. the thing that you yes. are. Right. Yeah, and that's actually, you know, that, and that's the genius of entrepreneurship, actually, is, is that when you think about it, you know, what we tend to do when we look at entrepreneurs is look at the outcomes of their of the process, and we say, oh, Bill Gates, he's worth such and such. Entrepreneurship is so cool. But we have to realize Bill Gates and the people around him, and there were a lot of people around him, he didn't invent everything. So 
the whole community of what Microsoft is provided value to other people. They created an operating system that made these little personal computers work for all of us, and they provided a set of things called Microsoft Word and Excel that we all found valuable. And because they were valuable to us, we paid him a lot of money. So that's the genius of any entrepreneurial organization. They provide value, and because they provide value, they become wealthy. So it's not, oh, I want to, and this is an interesting issue too. I've studied thousands of entrepreneurs. I've done, oh God, so many case, in-depth case studies in the hundreds of case studies of individuals who have started companies. And I could say it's rare. It's rare to have individuals who are entrepreneurs say, I got into business to make a lot of money and that's all I cared about. Those individuals who started companies to make a lot of money as their goal tend to be very unhappy individuals. They, uh, I can say, boy, those interviews have been the hardest interviews mm, I've ever done. Mm. There's just a lot of dark space there. The majority, not just, I would say, towards 95% of the individuals who start companies and are successful are happy because they're providing value to other people. They love what they do. Right. They can see how they make other people happy. They're providing something that society wants. And what a great feeling. Right. And and the money Gets comes. Gets back to the giving. Yeah, and the money comes after that. Yeah. So we tend to miss that. We just say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to make a lot of money. Oh, please don't do that. It won't work for you. I could just tell you. You have to find a passion that you love, and you have to pursue that. And what entrepreneurship and the skills of entrepreneurship can do is give you some tools to say some activities may be more valuable to other people than other things. So, you know, you have to think through how do you make that work so that you can do what you love, provide value to others, and make enough money so that you can have a fairly comfortable life. And that's always, I think that's a challenge for everyone. But and I'm not sure how much time, but I want to also tell, talk to anyone who out there is an employee. If you're working for someone else, you might think of yourself as an entrepreneur because what you're doing is your job is providing value to the person who's your boss. You only have one customer, frankly, your boss. Whereas entrepreneurs who have a company have thousands huh. of customers. Yeah. So given the fact that you've got only one customer, I hope you're asking yourself every day, how am I providing value to that person? Because that's how you get bonuses. That's how your salary increases, by creating more value to them. If, you, if you're not perceived as valuable, I can tell you, you probably won't have a job for that much longer. But I think this is really key. So, you know, I turn this entrepreneurship thing around to say, we're all in the customer value proposition business. We're all in these situations where we have to ask ourselves, how am I valuable? Now, I, I'm sure there are going to be individuals out there to say, oh, Bill, this is just so economics driven and it's so depersonalized and now you've just kind of made relationships, exchange relationships where now I just have to say to myself, oh, am I valuable or not? And if I'm not valuable to somebody else, I'm not valuable. I'm not saying that. You're valuable for who you are, no matter whether you're valuable to someone else. I'm, but I'm saying is, is that in an entrepreneurial culture, certainly in an exchange in economic, in this capitalistic culture that we're in, you have to think some about that because that's how people make money. That's how people are valuable. Sure. So, you know, but are you wonderful by who and by yourself? Yes. <laughs> right. well, I, I, I want to end it right there on, on being wonderful. Uh, Bill, that, that time evaporated from us, uh, Patrick, as it usually does. Time time for you, Mark, seems to evaporate quite a lot. You might turn on the humidifier. <laughs> <Just like laughs>
Uh, I the five strangers exercise. I'm a big fan that. of great. that. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, never eat alone. Uh, that's another one, another concept, a way to get through life. Uh, I'm, and I'm, a, I'm in Malcolm Gladwell's parlance. I'm a connector, which is why I run 805 Connect, and it's just a series of those. And it's just that we happen to record some of those conversations. But don't tell me it's over. We've just started. No, I, you know, uh, can, uh, as I as I'm often uh, off. want to say, Your Honor, I, I reserve the right to recall the witness. <laughs> off mic, we'll, we'll talk about getting your own podcast going here in a little bit about what I can do for you. Yes, exactly. Uh, this you, you've there's hundreds of hours of conversation here. Uh, Bill, thank you so much. Uh, one of the things that our listeners have been waiting for for 45 <laughs> with minutes. With bated breath. Is, is the most fun part of the show is um, we know that w- we get to name this conversation, we give it a name and call it into being. So we create something. We've just made uh, this conversation. We covered a lot of different areas. And uh, as an honor to you, we'd, we'd love you to give the name to the episode. Entrepreneurship, give it a try. Okay. Well, that's... that's very optimistic that's very leave it to beaver optimism (laughs) that's really good and it isn't about trying and it's not about succeeding yeah it's about doing your part to be involved in the future of the world and then you'll see where it goes okay so i so i I, doing your part to be involved in the future of the world there were so many great quotes here and and i found with people who write a lot because you have to be good at string words into sentences and uh, as a professor you have the opportunity to try that out on people on an ongoing basis and I'm jealous of that a little bit. Well, thank you. Well, be sure for those that are listening here to go to the website. There'll be the poster posted. Right. And, and how do they it. find you on the interwebs? Oh, well, all you have to na- do is Google my name, William B as in boy, Gartner, G-A-R-T-N-E-R, and a lot of things will come up. You'll see that I'm at California Lutheran University, and there'll be an uh, uh, email address for me. And um, I also have a website that should be online as of today, which is williambgartner.com. I love that. I, uh, I, I found all of that and, and uh, burned a, a quite a few pieces of paper. There's so much interesting work here. Thank you so much, and I do absolutely... I want to have you back on because I, I, there's so many areas we didn't get into and uh, our listener is going to love to have that. And they could just write us and say uh, that they would love to have another call. We'll go for a part two. Yeah, we're now accepting uh, uh, your vote on wit- who we should bring <laughs> back to the show. So, Exactly. So I, I, I love that. Bill, thank you so much. Um, I want to uh, also thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for just creating this space where we can have these amazing conversations that that aren't, um, you know, we're not capturing, we are capturing them now and, and sharing them all over the world. Thank you so much for that. And Cielo24, who provides the searchable captions for our show, The 805 Connect project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. We just couldn't do it without you. More information, if you're interested in um, learning more about us, go to 805connect.com. 
Patrick, how else could people help us help them? Well, besides rating, uh, reviewing, and uh, passing us along to all of your friends is a great podcast to listen to. Uh, I think it would be really important right now. Uh, there's a difference between uh, saying all the time, like, hey, mom, we should get together and go get some dinner, and actually going and picking your mom up and taking her to dinner. So make a reservation. Put on some nice clothes. Take a shower. Go get your mom. Take her out to dinner. Uh, and show her a good time, not because it's Mother's Day or Easter or some other holiday, but just because you like spending time with her. Because Patrick said. Because I said so, yeah. And that that's enough reason right there. It sure is. I love that it's not true. She'll say, well, why? Because Patrick said. Because Patrick said it's Tuesday, and, and we have and, to take you out to dinner. And that will be a trending meme on the interwebs. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would love to hear from you personally. I run into you um, uh, listeners all over the place having coffee. Uh, and I, I love the stories you tell me. It really uh, is uh, keeps us going. If you've got someone you've recently had coffee with that just really inspired you or motivated you and you think they would motivate the listeners, let me know. Send me a note, mark at 805connect.com, and I will follow up. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Mm-hmm.